This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, looks, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted! Intercepted! The next the ball! Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, the game. Hey, everybody. Scoop Duck and High Five. Matt Bagley in Portland. Justin Hopkins back in the Rogue Valley. So we're taping this on a Friday because yesterday was the craziest day of my year. And I know you had a couple articles up on the site. Opening round of the draft, Justin Herbert has his new home. He's the sixth overall pick he's an la charger i really like this fit what do you feel about it yeah I, i'm with you i was i you know so i was sitting there you know obviously watching the draft you know i was pretty i don't know about you just pretty excited for something to be live something sports oriented to be live yeah and, and real and and you know to back it up i thought they did a really good job i mean it you know i i can't imagine that was easy to produce and to coordinate um and sure there was a couple of hiccups here and there if you want to get absolutely nitpicky but um i thought the uh i thought the broadcast was pretty strong um you know given the times we're in and, and what they were forced to do and and you know a i credit them for going ahead and doing it and b figuring out a way you know to make it uh, a watchable product um and so you know on a, i was pretty glued to the tv i i'll be honest most years i I have the draft on maybe like in the background Mm -hmm. and, you know, perk my head up when I see a new pick or, you know, some teams that I do tend to follow a little bit more than others. But, you know, obviously early on in that draft, you know, just, Hey, where's Justin Herbert going to land? You know, dolphins were up at pick five. I'm sitting there going, man, is, you know, is he really going to the dolphins? And, you know, I think you and I are kind of on the same page uh, with regards to Justin Herbert. I think we see that there's potential for him to have a great NFL career, but I think it might take the right situation. And I don't think the Dolphins were that right situation, but I, I do believe the Chargers are a much, much better situation for him. He might be thrust into a, a starting role uh, down there unless they, uh, you know, get a little more active in the free agent market. But right. um Ultimately, he's got some weapons around him. I really just – I love I love this move for him because I think him being on the West Coast is probably a great thing for his uh, his psyche too, probably his mental makeup, oh, knowing yeah. that his, his family will be able to come to games a little more easily than traveling all the way down to Miami to see him. So I know I'm rambling there, but honestly, I can't – other than the Patriots, which was a pipe dream for him to fall that late, mm-hmm. I can't think of a better situation for him to fall into. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head in in two reasons. One being he needs time, and that doesn't mean he's a bad prospect. I think it just has to factor in when you you look at, say, all of the first-round quarterbacks that have come out of Oregon. Marcus Mariota goes top five. Uh, Chris Miller goes in the first round back in the 80s. Achilles Smith goes top five in the 90s. Joey Harrington goes top five in the 2000s. All of those quarterbacks were good quarterbacks. They all had potential, and, and they all clearly had at least someone in the NFL who believed in them, or they wouldn't have been first-round picks. But 
all of those quarterbacks struggled for the team that drafted them because the teams that drafted them sucked. And they threw right. these guys into the fire early. Um, I think about Chris Miller. He's running the run and shoot with a coach that gets run out of the NFL, uh, with an offensive line that doesn't protect him. He gets beat to hell. You can say the same thing for Joey with the Lions, some of the worst teams ever. And yep. say the same for, for Marcus, um, a Titans team that I've said before, they just didn't know how to use him. And you have this reality that we all think about when we look back at the draft retrospectively, but we all forget uh, when we, we kind of mock the current draft. It's so easy to think, oh, Joe Burrow is going to be the best guy in this class because he's a number one pick. But I think Justin Herbert has a better situation than Joe Burrow. And so I, I think this sets up Herbert to have a really successful career. Yeah, it's funny that you say that the way you did there at the end, because just last night I was talking to somebody about the NFL draft and they said, hey, you know, who do you think is going to, you know, we, I don't know, we had a dozen or so picks and, and, and you know, who, who do you think is going to have the best, uh, you know, who do you think is going to be the best quarterback um, that, that got drafted? And I said, well, you know, how do you mean, you know, I think Joe Burrow has so many great things going for him. And I guess if you're just you know, looking, isolating and looking at the quarterback, you, you know, he's probably the best quarterback, but he's going to the Bengals and they're awful. Right. And, and so, you know, my argument was, you know, Justin Herbert has really fallen into a fantastic situation. It's crazy to think about just a spot after the Dolphins and he finds himself in a much better situation than Tua, you know, going to Miami and, and just at least looking at what they have offensively there. Um, it's not inconceivable to think that Justin Herbert may have the most productive rookie year of any of the quarterbacks taken in the first round. Um, you know, Jordan Love, Jordan Love going to the Packers is wild. I can't get over that. That yeah. one just, I, you know, that one I was like, what? You know, but I say what because it's like obviously they got Aaron Rodgers, but you know, Jordan Love's a great value pick there. I see absolutely why you do that. I mean, uh, I don't know Rodgers' contract situation. I don't know if he's got one year left or something. That's you know, what made me start to think of that is, okay, well, you brought Love in and, you, you know, you're going to groom him for a year or whatever. But um, I didn't have an opportunity to look that up. But, yeah, just based on what you were saying towards the end of, of your uh, – of, of what you were saying, I, I just – it's not inconceivable to think that Justin Herbert has a chance to have the best rookie year of all the NFL quarterbacks taken in the first round, uh, at least simply from a productive stand, production standpoint. Yeah, that love pick had had all of us. We, we do a draft show on my station, and we did a, a show last night with my dad and uh, one of my friends here in the Valley who's a, a football diehard, huge Duck fan, Joe Tate. And um, all of us stopped in our tracks when that Packers pick happened because you have Rodgers, I think he's got – Three years left on his contract, and it's a huge contract. Right, and he's the okay. face of your franchise. It's Aaron right. Rodgers. And right. <laughs> instead of getting a lineman to protect him, or they desperately needed a wideout, and there was a few on right. the board, they go and grab the riskiest quarterback in this whole draft. That blows right. me away. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, back to Herbert. You mentioned earlier – Staying on the West Coast is going to be huge for him, and I couldn't yes. agree more because if there was one criticism that I, I did put some weight in with him, 
it's I had heard people say, you know, he's never really left Oregon. Obviously, um, yeah. Grew up in yeah. Eugene, high school in Eugene, college in Eugene, lives with his folks, and that's awesome. I mean, I, I've done that practically. I, li- I lived in Medford most of my life, moved to Klamath, came back to Medford. I'm an Oregonian through and through. But just in a real-life perspective, to ask somebody to move across the country and then throw all this extra pressure of here's this 500-page playbook and this multimillion-dollar contract and all the expectations that come with it, that's really tough. And now you send him to what I think is the best region in the country. I love Southern California. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the only thing that could have made it more perfect is if, uh, you know, if the Chargers still remained in San Diego, Oh yeah, I think they made, I think they made a huge mistake there, but uh, you know, drafting Justin Herbert, you know, it, it's clear that they were poised to take a quarterback. Um, you know, obviously uh, the Chargers had, uh, you know, multiple draft picks in the first round. I know the, the Dolphins had three, I believe, you know, so those, those, both those programs, you know, both, both those teams looking for a little bit of a rebuild, but, you know, like you said, just being able to know that, you know, if, if you're Justin Herbert and you think, oh, my parents can hop on a plane and be here in about 90 minutes. And right. that's, you know, easily. And it's not an expensive, you know, to get from here to Miami is a, a $500 ticket, yeah. you know, to get from, you know, you can you can get down to L.A. for 100 bucks if you catch it just right, maybe 150 bucks, much more manageable for anybody. Um, not that money will be an, an issue for them, but, uh, you know, you're going to go to the chargers. Obviously they've got Austin Eckler there at running back. Who's kind of a versatile guy can catch the ball out of the backfield. You got Keenan Allen out wide and Mike, Mike Williams, a couple of really good wide receivers. Um, you know, I looked up briefly, really quickly, you know, F- Philip rivers was only sacked 34 times last year. So that's not especially high or especially low. It was pretty much right in the middle of, of everybody, uh, in the NFL and Justin Herbert's a far more mobile quarterback than, than Philip Rivers is. So, you know, he might even be able to get that number down a little bit more given his athleticism. So mm-hmm. I, I just, I, I know it, it's not a hot take, but it just, it really feels like overall, this is such a tremendous fit for him that I, I just, I see a very good opportunity for him to blossom as long as they don't put too much on his plate too early. Right. Right, you've got to protect him, and and you got to scheme around him, and and you mentioned the mobility. This is where that Chargers pick really might shine in a year or two. You get to learn under a, a veteran quarterback, but specifically, he gets to learn under Tyrod Taylor. And right. I I know that there's a tendency with with mock drafts to project players based on race. So like say. Um, when Hunter Renfro was was draft eligible last year, everybody said, "Oh, he's Wes Welker, he's Danny, Danny Amendola, right?" He was right. only getting projected to white guys because he was a white guy, and I I think this is an example where when you see Justin Herbert at his best, I think about the touchdown that he ran in against Utah. I think about the scramble that he had for the big touchdown against Wisconsin in the Rose Bowl. When he's at his best, he's mobile. And yeah. you have him learn behind one of the best mobile, one of the best improvisational quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, that's that's why I had him pegged to Pittsburgh, honestly. I, I thought oh. that you have him learn under Ben Roethlisberger, who I've always thought of in those terms. Really mobile, really agile, great scrambling and, and improvising on third down. Um, but this is 
almost as good. You have him learn under Tyrod for a year and and be a evolutionary Tyrod Taylor. I think this is a win. I think this is a really good fit. Yeah, yeah, and and as long as you know, obviously they've got and that, I guess my biggest fear for Justin Herbert, which we've seen in the past for Oregon quarterbacks, and you touched on. Uh, briefly earlier as they go to these situations where they have no line protection at all. Mm-hmm. You know, you had Joey Harrington scrambling for his life. And there's no doubt in my mind that at some point when these guys take, you know, so many sacks, when they know that every time they drop back, they're either going to get pressured or sack, that immediately enters in their head. And you cannot, I mean, I, I have no problem. I totally get where they're coming from. When that enters your head and you're basically scared every snap to run for your life, you know, that's no way to play football. So, you know, I do believe guys like Joey Harrington, you know, Chris Miller, some of these other guys just walked into some really tough situations. And this is the first time that I see an Oregon quarterback in a while walk into, you know, what I feel is at least a positive situation. Are the Chargers an elite team? No, no. but they're a good enough team. They're definitely, you know, they're definitely not the uh, the Bengals or the Dolphins. They're not a bottom dweller. Um, I think he's got an opportunity there. And I don't think this is a, okay, you add Justin Herbert, you're a Super Bowl contender. You're not, but give this thing a couple years. Give him time, you know, a couple years to mature and grow. Put some weapons around him. You know, build up your defense a little bit. And I, I think you have a team that, that's poised to definitely, you know, make some noise out west and in the NFL. And, and, and who knows? I just, I mean, I'm so excited about this for Justin Herbert. And, and then I'm so excited for this afternoon. I know you and I are recording this now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we waited an extra day instead of doing it on a Thursday like we've been doing. We did it on Friday. Like, oh, well, now we can talk about where Herbert landed, um, which makes way more sense than kind of projecting where he's going. And, and four hours later, he goes somewhere. Um, you know, so I, I feel good. But we, we are going to project a little bit about the next couple guys because rounds two and three are later tonight. Mm-hmm. And you've got Shane Lemieux and Troy Dye that are kind of out there being rumored as potential second or third round picks. Yeah. 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 And yeah. and I want to talk yeah. about – let's start with Lemieux. Um, we've, we've interviewed people who know a lot more about the X's and O's and the scheme than, than I do. Um, so I'm not going to pretend to be a Mike Mayock and tell you exactly where somebody fits in the X's and O's, but I have to think – we saw that run on offensive linemen last night. And by the way, uh, Penn A, I, I, I feel pretty confident in saying if the Giants can reach for the guy that they got at fourth overall and yeah. a guy like Austin Jackson can go in the teens like he did, Penn A can start planning because he's going to be a top five guy at the very least next year. Um, but uh, obviously – you you factor out the teams that went line last night. Look at the teams that either went defense or, or went with the skill guys. I like Vegas. I, I think Shane Lemieux could be a fit in Vegas. Yeah, could be a fit in Vegas. In Vegas. Um, you know, also, who knows, could potentially join up with Justin Herbert in Los Angeles. Right. Uh, you know, definitely could fill a need there. Um, you, you know, a lot of these, uh, I don't want to say run first, but, you know, run heavy teams. That, that's where Shane Lemieux excels. He's, he's definitely a, a, a very strong uh, run blocker, kind of a road grader, if you will. Um, durable, doesn't get hurt. Uh, you know, just so many great things about him. Him and him and Panay on the left side of the offensive line for Oregon this year was just lights out. So, yeah, like you said, the, the teams that, that more than likely, so, you know, you talk about the Jets, so you talk about the Browns, the guys that took a, an offensive lineman in the first round. Mm-hmm. 
they might not be interested at this particular moment. But, um, you know, I don't know. You, maybe you look at the team like, like the Cowboys. You know, that's another uh, potential there to go with C.D. Lamb, which I thought was one of the best picks in the, in the, in the first round um, was the Cowboys at 17. I'm still a little, I'm still a little bit foggy on what the Raiders were doing at 12 there. Maybe, maybe you can walk me through that one, but (laughs) yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so 12, honestly, I was surprised in the moment because I, I feel like I know what Mayock and Gruden value and they value blue chip. It's really important to them. They're looking for Bama guys and Clemson guys and that that SEC college football playoff big game pedigree. So I thought it was going to be Jerry Judy. But but if you had my order, it went Lamb, Judy, Ruggs. They go Ruggs. Um, And I've thought about it a lot. And, and I'm a lot nicer with this pick than I am what they did at 19. I thought that was crazy. But, that was a reach. But yeah. I, thought, I thought after studying a little bit further and reading a lot more, I'm going to give Ruggs some time. I, I, think, I think part of my hesitancy with Ruggs is I've been a Raider fan all my life, and I've seen them consistently reach for the fast guy. And, you know, a lot of times that fast wideout, is only fast. He has no other skill. Whereas I think if you you look deeper at Ruggs' tape, he has um, a a really sweet yards after catch ability to take a slant and turn it into a house call. And he's got good hands, very few drops. Um, So we'll see. Um, Yeah. I I think it's an awesome toolbox. He's got a full toolbox, no doubt. And and, and it's an awesome receiving class. At at the very top, you really can't miss much. I think all of those first round wideouts have pretty good careers. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a deep, it was definitely a deep draft for wide receiver. Um, Yeah. Like you said, with the Raiders picking Damon Arnett at at 19, that was a bit of a head scratcher as well. That was a guy they probably could have weighed on. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but, you know, I'm going back through and just kind of looking. And there wasn't many interior offensive linemen. Looks like only one, Cesar Ruiz, right. you know, going to the Saints at 24. So, you know, you think it's, you know, the NFL draft's all about runs. And, and, and you know, I know just for me, when you do a fantasy draft, you always, you always tend to find good value when you go against the run. You know, if everybody's going wide receiver and offensive tackle, you know, that means there's probably value somewhere else, maybe at the running back position or maybe at the tight end position or the guard position um, in this case. Uh, you know, so it might be a, an especially good thing uh, uh, for Shane Lemieux. He definitely has an opportunity. Um, you know, on the flip side, it looks like there was only just a couple linebackers taken uh, in, in the first round. Um, and one thing I tend to kind of notice, and I can't say that I know – Kenneth Murray or Jordan Brooks or, or Patrick Queen especially well. Mm-hmm. But one thing I heard repeatedly from the commentary is just how athletic those linebackers are and how versatile they are in, in terms of how much space they can take and eat up and move around. Right. And I, and I certainly think that's a benefit for a guy like Troy Dye who, who played middle linebacker but was all over the field for the Ducks everywhere that it, it looks like you're seeing defenses – kind of value that scheme versatility, which I think is something Troy Dye definitely has. Yeah, I, I'm not afraid about Dye. 
with with Lemieux, I feel like he's going to be a day two guy because that's normally where good guards go. His his floor is probably the third round, early third round. With Die, his floor could be lower, but I, I remember yeah. seeing mocks at the very start of the process, like at the week of the combine, mocks that had him at the end of the first round. And obviously right. that didn't happen last night. Um, like, like you said, it's a really interesting linebacker group where you have Isaiah Simmons and then arguably there was a pretty steep drop-off. So, yes. um, you know, there's there's a lot of guys after Simmons that maybe they're only a middle linebacker, uh, kind of a thumper, kind of a run protector like, like a Jordan Brooks, Texas Tech, or a guy like maybe they project more as an outside guy that can help out in coverage like a Kenneth Murray. Um, I, I think that Die is going to get pigeonholed by a couple teams. They might see him as, as an inside guy at that NFL level, or they might see him as, as a platoon guy. Um, I think about how the Raiders have a middle linebacker named Nick Morrow, who they only ever bring in on passing downs because they want him to defend the deep middle in a cover two and uh, do kind of the Derek Brooks role. And um, I, I think that might be die in the NFL, but I think he'll definitely have a home there. Just f- for me, the the biggest plus that he has, that, that I could really see him as a second or third rounder today, is he's the kind of guy you want in that locker room. Right. Yeah, he is. He's you know he's he's got no off field issues. You don't have any character concerns. You know, obviously he's tough as nails. You know, right. playing games with broken thumbs and 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 all these other things that he did this just this season alone. Um, tackles monster. I mean, you know, Die is definitely a little bit of an undersized guy. If you're looking for an inside linebacker, he just I I just don't see any way he would probably be able to get through an NFL season unscathed you know, at his size as an inside linebacker. But, you know, for those that can kind of see him, uh, you know, almost as like, you know, this isn't probably the right term, but like a jumbo nickel, you know, somebody that you throw out there that right. that can eat space, you know, in that five to eight, nine yard window. Um, you know, that's a guy that really what I see, I see his value for those that, that can realize the NFL is becoming a passing league and, and it's not obviously when, when we say passing league, everybody thinks, okay, well you need cornerbacks and safeties because everybody's just going to heave the ball down the field, but that's not, I mean, it's a lot of slants and rubs and, and short, short throws is kind of what the NFL has become. And when you have linebackers that can, you know, at least eat that space up and, and cover, you know, by no means is he going to run step for step with a speedy wide receiver down the sideline, but you know, being able to kind of eat that space with long arms and, and, and having good instincts, you know, are, are very valuable for him. So, you know, die is tough. I, I really hope his name is called later tonight. He's a, he's a, he, he's one of those almost like, I don't know about you, but last night when the chargers came up and it was their pick and I'm sitting here going, man, if the chargers don't take Justin Herbert, where does he go? Right. You know, I mean, is he the guy that becomes the slide? Um, because that was kind of where Justin Herbert was at was, you know, Hey, if, if he's probably going to go top five, top six, but if he doesn't, then who takes him? Right. And so I don't know about you, but I had bated breath a little bit. I was kind of like, 
man, the Chargers call somebody else's name. What what do we have going on here? What's you know? It's it's but funny I, that you mentioned that because so I'm doing my draft show last night. I have Zoom on one computer so that I can get the audio from all my guests. I've got uh, my iPad shooting the audio back to our studio, and then I've got my laptop playing Sling with NFL Network, and I'm watching the draft. And right after Tua gets picked, they do that slide quarterback montage with Aaron Rodgers and all the guys that plummet in the draft, and I'm thinking, oh, no, right? What do they know that I don't? Yeah, because I feel like they set us up early in the draft because they were – it, I don't know about you, but it seemed like a very pro to a tag of Iloa draft. Yes. You know, obviously yes. they were going to him quite often. We literally got like 30 seconds of screen time from Justin Herbert and the whole draft. It was like, Oh yeah, there he is. And then, you know, they panned out and, and then he got drafted. They showed him for about 10 and 10 seconds or so. And that was it, you know, just definitely. Uh, did, but yeah, I felt like they were kind of setting us up for, you know, Tua was going to get picked early and he, and he did. It seemed like they knew. And then, you know, Justin, like you said, they threw out the montage that if the Chargers didn't take him, you know, we might have been seeing Justin Herbert sit there, you know, into the into the late teens or early twenties potentially. Yeah. Um, as it is, he fell into a terrific spot, of course. But uh, I guess why I bring that up is I see Troy Die so, somewhat of the same way. If he's not taken in the second or third rounds tonight, uh, you know, where where does he slide? How far does he get down? Where you know, and it, he 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 seems to have that same sort of potential there for that to happen where Shane Lemieux seems like, okay, if he's not taken in the second round, he's almost for sure going in the third round. I got a question. Where do you think Jawan Johnson goes in this draft? Man, I tell you what, that's a great question because it's, it's uh, Jawan Johnson and Jacob Breeland, man, you, you start cause both of them, you know, went to the NFL combine, but you know, you and I have talked about this when, when Jawan Johnson was announced as a graduate transfer for Oregon you simply cannot teach six foot four, six foot five, 225, 230 pounds and can run like he does. Yes. You know, so, I mean, I think there's going to be, you know, several of these NFL teams that just, you know, you have GMs that definitely rely on measurables, you know, when drafting. And you look at a guy like this, like we, you know, six four, two twenty five, and can run and, you know, maybe didn't have the season that he would have loved to have had at Oregon, but he did, he did finish it on a, on a strong note. Uh, you know, definitely in the Rose Bowl. So hopefully, um, I don't know. I, I think he's a guy that definitely gets drafted, doesn't go as an undrafted free agent. Um, I think he gets drafted, but it, it certainly looks like he's a, a mid to late sixth round guy, maybe seventh round guy. Wow. And and, and see, I, I can get that just because that's maybe how teams might view him. But I know for me personally, my philosophy you know, the first round grade is your A plus. You're perfect guy. There's no blemishes, no warts, unless you're the Raiders and you take Damon Arnett. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but you know, round two is okay. Your first round on tape, but you might have some some character issues, or there might be a, a run in with the law, or bad grades, something like that. Uh, round three is you had good tape, or you had good stats but you didn't do it consistently. You missed a lot right. of playing time, had injury flags. That's where, that's where that guy goes. And then round four is kind of the, the remainder off of that. If I were drafting, 
I would have given him around three grade. So I and and, and that's a good grade. I mean, because he had he had really good games. He had flashes, just missed right. a lot of time. I would love to see his name called tonight, but I'm with you. I, I think that if he's lucky, he's a fourth rounder. He might be a, a sixth or seventh rounder. Yeah, you know, just the obviously the drops plagued him at Penn State. Never really got going there. You know, and then, you know, the other thing that hurts him a little bit, and, and we talked about this a, a little bit ago, is it's an it's a, it's an especially deep draft at wide receiver. Right. And, you know, so unfortunately when you go in a draft like that, we see it with quarterbacks. We see it with quarterbacks a lot where they, you know, will kind of wait, maybe wait another year before they go because it's a deep draft or, you know, whatever the case might be. Um, you know, this is a, a kind of a tough year for Juwan Johnson because it's an especially deep draft of really, really good wide receivers that, you know, like you, they're proven, they're coming from blue bloods, they're, you know, very productive, had good seasons, and he didn't have a bad season, he just didn't play a lot, and injuries have plagued his whole collegiate career at Penn State and at Oregon, and then, of course, drops, you know, plagued his career, although we didn't see it a ton of drops from him in the, in the one year here at Oregon. So um, I, I think he ends up being a guy that somebody gets a steal and we see the NFL kind of transitioning to these athletic tight ends, you know, the George Kittles and, and players like that, that are basically becoming a, a huge passing threat. Mm-hmm. You know, I, Juwan Johnson, I, I can, I would only imagine he could probably put on 10 more pounds if he, if he really wanted to. And now you start talking about him because we saw him blocking his ass off at Oregon as a right. wide receiver. Right. I mean, he had he had some serious pancakes on some of the better runs that Oregon had. You know, maybe that's a guy that somebody takes and says, hey, look, we want to add 10 to 15 pounds on you. And we're going to flex you out a little bit more, but kind of move you around. Um, you know, if he can sustain some of those blocks, he, he might carve out a really strong role in the NFL doing that versus just playing wide receiver. Related to that point, I think it brings up an idea that that really came to prominence last night where a team like Denver already had the big, fast, go-get-it wide receiver. They got Cortland Sutton, and so they went and got Jerry Judy to go do the 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 short stuff and sure. the Raiders felt like they already had a couple guys that could do the short stuff a great tight end Darren Waller and a slot receiver Hunter Renfro so they go and get the guy that can run really fast and stretch the field deep my my point is i think modern passing games they look at Kansas City as the shining example you yep. don't just have five of the same guy you have five different guys that all do different things. And so the fit for Jawan Johnson, it's not going to be a team looking for that speed guy or looking for that little guy that can can dance in the slot. I think it's a team looking for that big go-get-it guy on fades and goal line. And, and, I, and I'm, I'm just sitting here, and as you uh, mentioned that, I start to think of a team like the Cowboys. Mm. You know, you went and got C.D. Lamb, you've got Amari Cooper – um, obviously you've got Ezekiel Elliott, but if you could add that, you know, that last dimension there into their offense right. of, of having that kind of George Kittle like weapon, 
um, yeah, you've kind of, like you said, you've kind of gone and, and really duplicated what the chiefs have done. Maybe, maybe not entirely, but, uh, you know, that, that would certainly be something. And we, and as we know, uh, you know, with Mike McCarthy down there running the show in Dallas, you know, he's not adverse to using tight ends in his offense, uh, at least uh, when he was up in green Bay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I love that fit, uh, the Dallas fit. I, I also think there are a handful of teams that even if they already got a guy, I put my Raiders in this example, they got Henry Ruggs, but they really need help in the receiving core. They might go out and get another guy. Could be him, could be Michael Pittman Jr., uh, could be I – I still can't believe Denzel Mims is still on the board. That blows me away. Um, right. A team like Philly, that they got Jalen Rager last night. I've yeah. always seen him as more of a deep threat, more of your your punt returner, kind of like what they wanted Nelson Aguilar to be before they let him go. Um, you you maybe pair Rieger with Johnson, and yeah. and then the other fit is you have a team like say um, we, we used this example earlier, teams that won't probably get Shane Lemieux because they went line early, like the Jets. Right. Right. Jets could have gone wide out in that 11 spot, and a lot of people expected that. Cardinals could have gone wide out at eight, um, especially with the offense they run where they spread it out. So, right. There, there's a lot of teams that could use him. Oh, man. Do you, on that note, do you remember when they showed the picture of Kingsbury and his mansion? His mansion. Right. Yeah. Right. That place was sick. Holy cow. But I, yeah, I, it was pretty. I was thinking about this this morning. I've, I've never done a 180 on a coach as fast as Cliff Kingsbury. I, oh, I remember sick. feeling like that was the dumbest hire in football and it was going to flame. And, and now I'm thinking this guy's a genius. See, I, and I'm, I'm my, the jury's still out for me on that because I was like, I'm like you, I thought it was a, a horrible hire and I couldn't, I just couldn't grasp it. Um, I, I mean, I think the Cardinals were okay, but you know, jury's still out for me. We'll see. Uh, We'll see. So it, it wasn't a bad year, that's for sure. But um, and and I would have to say that the I was twofold wrong there. I, I wasn't especially high on Kyler Murray either. I wasn't sure that he was going to be able to get it done. Yeah. And he had a fairly productive first year. Once again, um, you know, I'm not totally sold, but it was better than I expected. Yeah. That's for sure. Well, I, I think it, you know, to put it full circle with Herbert and and the history of Oregon quarterbacks that he's trying to transcend, a lot of these guys can make the throws. A lot of these guys can read a defense. But if you get hurt, you can't play. Like like Bill Parcells has that famous quote, the best ability is availability. Right. And, and with Kyler, he can make every throw. He can read every defense. I was only afraid that he'd get hurt. But he, he played right. 16 games, so I think yeah. he can do it. Yeah. No, but yeah, I'm excited for a, a fun, uh, fun second round, a fucking fun second night, second and third round for tonight. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, it's started raining here in Southern Oregon, and it was beautiful yesterday. It was seventy something degrees yesterday, but that's okay. I'll still watch the NFL draft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How's the, uh, how's the transition been to Portland? It's been weird. You know, everybody asks me how's Portland and and how are you liking it up here, and I've barely left the house. Well, yeah, it's not even really Portland because it's in quarantine. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's just an apartment. I mean, yeah, I, uh, 
I, I've gone out a couple of times to see my in-laws because uh, my in-laws live uh, just down the road from us. And uh, my father-in-law is a, a pastor. So I, I, you know, I try to see him on Sundays and we get together. Um, but that's been it, you know, grocery shopping and, and maybe an hour with the in-laws once a week. That's been it. Right. Haven't been able to hit all the breweries and all the good things that, oh. that Portland offers, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah. L- literally J hop the day that we get back to normal. And, and I thank you for this. Cause you showed me these guys like a year ago on my vacation. The minute that we get back to normal, I'm going to ex novo. Oh yeah. I can't wait. Yeah, Ex Novo is awesome. That's a great one for sure. Um, there's so many. I mean, gosh, it's just, you know, Portland's Portland. Now, the the scary part is, as I read, you know, one of the downturns of the economy through this is I know that, you know, some of the breweries have been hit especially hard because, oh, yeah. you know, even the ones that are filling growlers or whatever, you're talking about one-tenth or one-twentieth of the normal business. Yeah. So, well, I guess I mean, we just – You know it. Because I, I, you've, I mean, you've talked about it before. You've been in the business, but yeah, profit margins are just destroyed right now. Because all they can sell is food, and they weren't making money on food. They're making money on booze. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You did it, any almost any restaurant you're talking about, the the money they actually makes on the on the booze, not the food. The food is is pretty marginal. So um, I know everybody's just trying to get through, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you you should hopefully, I guess, fingers crossed, if if all goes well, you should have a good summer up there. Yeah. Um, if if we're able to get things back open, and and then. Uh, I'm just going to go hope for the sunshine to come back because I already miss it. It's only been a day. Yeah. No, I'm looking forward to it. All I got to do is take my, uh, my Lysol injection and I'll be good to go. Yeah. I don't, it, <laughs> it, I tell you what, I'll be honest with the, the quarantine. I, I especially notice it on days, you know, where it's, where it's raining or it's cold and you got to be inside more. I notice it a lot less on days when you can get outside and do stuff. You know, it, it's just, it makes such a big difference when the weather's, cooperating it's like well we're in quarantine but we can still go for a bike ride or go to the park you know and, and ride our bikes around it or whatever or, you know go on a hike or you know do these other things or, or heck even get yard work done which has been something i've been banging out some projects but um yeah when the weather's like this when it's kind of rainy you're standing inside looking outside going man we really can't go anywhere or do anything <laughs> yeah. it's not easy that's for sure uh let's wrap this up full circle herbert's a charger Lemieux and and Troy Die might go today. I I'm hopeful Jawan Johnson goes today. If he doesn't, I think he goes tomorrow in, in uh, day three, round four probably. Uh, anybody else you think gets drafted from the Ducks? No, I know Jacob Breland went to the uh, the combine, and uh, you know, unfortunately, his senior year was cut short, and he was having a heck of a uh, of a season. But I'm not sure that, you know, that was a big enough body of work for him to go. But I would bet money that he, he becomes an undrafted free agent and somebody will, you know, will pick him up and put him on the practice squad and see what he can do. I think he's got a shot, but uh, I, I just don't think that anybody will use a draft pick on him. Mm. Yeah, that's sad. I, I, I hope that – I think about Pharaoh Brown. I remember when Pharaoh Brown came out. I hope that this isn't a repeat of that story. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, one thing in, in Breland's favor is he checks off all the, all the boxes, you know, he's a high character, hard worker. Um, you know, he, he, he's been injured at certain points, but he doesn't seem to be injury plagued. Um, 
you know, so again, I, I think somebody will give him, give him a shot. I just don't think uh, anybody's going to use a draft pick on him. So, mm-hmm. all right. Well, that's where we're at. Um, anything else duck related you want to talk about? No, no. I mean, I, you know, I addressed some things, you know, obviously I can't, I don't, I think, well, I mean, Oregon hired Brian McClendon and uh, at wide receivers coach. All right. I mean, yeah, I mean, we haven't really had a chance to talk about that. And that's, once again, uh, you know, kind of shows you that Mario Cristobal might have this coaching thing figured out. Yeah, I forgot he kind of snuck that one under the radar. Yeah, he did. He kind of, now, it hasn't been announced by the university. Um, you know, they've got to finish some of the, the red tape, uh, you know, and getting him through things and everything's on a quarantine. So that's definitely on a on a slower pace than usual. And Oregon's been historically slow to begin with. So, um, you know, that'll be, that'll be a huge boost for the offensive recruiting. Uh, once he's kind of able to get going full bore and, and hit the road running and, uh, but yeah, another, another huge, huge get for Mario Cristobal. Um, you know, I know I've said this before. I believe anybody that knows how to recruit can recruit no matter where they're at. So, you know, does he have a lot of West Coast ties? No, he doesn't. He's primarily recruited the Southeast, uh, you know, Georgia, uh, Florida. Uh, he was in South Carolina last year, obviously. Um, but, you know, I, I, I bring it back around. Prior to coming out to Oregon, how often did Mario Cristobal recruit the West? Mm-hmm. You know, it was, you know, it'd be a tackle here or there, uh, maybe out of California. But otherwise, that wasn't his breeding grounds at all. And he's clearly proven that that's not a problem. So, um, you know, I do believe a guy like McClendon who comes with some serious recruiting uh, accolades uh, is, is just another huge boost to this uh, coaching staff. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they do it again. You know, we, we were talking about this a month ago. They were going to get somebody good because everybody wants to come here. Yeah. I think, you know, we we give, and myself included, we give Mario Cristobal a lot of heat for how long he takes to make hires. But if you scale it back and think about it, um, you know, the last two hires uh, being Joe Moorhead and Brian McClendon, you know, Joe Moorhead wasn't available when Mario Cristobal started the process. So if he just hurried up and made a hire and was done in three or four or five days, he would have missed the window of having the opportunity to hire Joe Moorhead. Um, I think Brian McClendon's a guy that just took a little bit more time than, Hey, you know, making a phone call and saying, Hey, you want to come work for me at Oregon? I mean, that's a guy that has options. You know, he's been a, a, a nationally recognized recruiter, uh, multiple five stars to, 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 to Florida, to South Carolina, or excuse me, Georgia and South Carolina. You know, so I think that one just took a little more time than, you know, picking up the phone and being like, Hey dude, you're an up and comer. You want to come join me at Oregon? Well, of course those guys are going to say yes in five minutes. I mean, that's just the nature of the business, but a guy like McClendon, um, you know, uh, he was at one point rumored to be taking a job with the Pittsburgh Steelers as a as a wide receiver coach, and not entirely clear on what happened, but that didn't seem to to come about, which gave Oregon an opening to hire him here at Oregon. So I think it's a massive upgrade at that position, not only in recruiting but in coaching as well. Yeah. Hey, anytime you can snag a guy that was on an NFL radar, you got to do it. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, if you're if you're getting him to come and coach the position you know, he was being offered. It's a win-win. Some of these guys try to move around a little bit and switch positions. Doesn't always work out, but McClendon's primarily been a wide receiver coach, kind of worked with the running backs a little bit. He was the offensive coordinator last year for South Carolina. Uh, and that didn't really work out, but that doesn't mean he doesn't know how to coach receivers. That's a totally different bottle of wax. Yeah. So, um, you know, great hire for, for coach Cristobal. 
Um, and then the only other thing is, I mean, everybody's talking about it, but five-star Corey Foreman decommits from Clemson. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. Tattoo and all. He's he's up back on the market. Wait, tattoo? So he had a, did he have a tiger tattoo? He has a tiger tattoo on his uh, <laughs> like on on his forearm area, and he got it, you know, a few weeks after he committed. So I mean, that was that was a young man, five star. He's elite. Everybody wants him. He's number one player in the country. He's he's a terrific player, but. You know, he went and took a visit to Clemson back in January, and I know they put the screws to him to commit, and he, he gave into the pressure. And, I mean, that was one. I know I think people on Scoop Duck can remember. I said from day one, it's January. Just wait and see what happens. Then he went and got the tattoo, and I'm like, just wait, see what happens. And here we are three three months later, and he's back on the market. Have you ever seen something like this happen before? Uh, you know, the tattoo is a little bit of an extra wrinkle. Uh, you know, early commitments and stuff like that are, are, are uh, I think a lot of these commitments that are taking place right now, you know, Oregon's been on a bit of a dry spell and I know fans are getting a little bit uh, uneasy. Uh, you know, everybody wants to see some commitments, but uh, I think a lot of these other programs, the commitments they're getting are, uh, are A, uh, for the most part, not high profile guys. And I will exclude Ohio State, you know, Clemson, those schools are still going to get their dudes, but um, you know, a lot of folks are concerned about Washington or what USC is doing. And to be fair, you know, I'm not sure that there's much on the commit list of either of those schools that Oregon would really take at the moment. Oregon's Oregon's really recruiting, uh, you know, pretty big fish at the moment moving forward. And that's it's going to be a smaller class. And so they have to be a, a little bit more selective with who they get. Um, you know, I know there's some guys that are chomping the bit to, to jump in the boat and Oregon's kind of. Yeah, let's just kind of wait and see what happens here. Um, so I think it'll work out. I get fans being uneasy. I get everybody. I think it's even more amplified because we're all bored. We're stuck inside. You know, you want some recruiting news to follow. And right now, the biggest news has been Corey Foreman. I think that I think that definitely comes down to one thousand percent an Oregon versus USC battle. Um, you know, Oregon's been on the winning end of a lot of those battles for guys like that last couple of years. Kayvon Thibodeau, Justin Flo, for example. Um, but I do think that uh, I think Corey Foreman is going to be a very tough battle because I think he's got a lot of pull to stay in Los Angeles, to stay close to home. And so I think that definitely works in, in USC's favor. But that said, Oregon, as a, as a staff, can recruit with the best of them. So I think if the kid's smart, he'll wait and make a decision in, de- in December or later in the re- recruiting cycle. Um, doesn't give into pressure as soon as he takes a, another visit and commits, which I fear is what may happen once again. Yeah, Ducks in a battle for a five-star. That's always fun. And uh, I know Scoop Duck's been covering that because I was reading that piece the other day. Uh, <laughs> actually, it's funny. Uh, the only reason I knew about the tattoo was because I, I saw it in the comments there on Scoop Duck. Um, I feel like that covered every base. Anything else you want to talk about? No, I think that's I think that's it, and and hopefully uh, you know this time or slightly earlier this time next week we're able to talk about uh, three or four more ducks drafted in uh, tonight and tomorrow's NFL draft. Yes, yes, totally. I, I like I said, I think you're right that Lemieux and Die are day two guys, and I think Jawan Johnson should have been a day two guy. I don't know if he will be a day two guy, but I, I think he gets drafted. And, I just hope Jacob Breland gets a, a flyer from somebody, five, six, or seven. Um, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi, you can listen to us on any app that you find your podcasts. Just search for Scoop Duck in Hi-Fi, or just search for Duck and scroll down. You'll find us. We're good. 
Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins. You can also listen back to this on ScoopDuck.com and leave us a comment there. I appreciate everybody listening, and go Ducks. I can do this now.